0: This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. And Jamal, uh, we have you live again via Skype from beautiful Greece. And we wanted to check in with you right away because a lot of callers and listeners have been asking about you knowing that you are in Greece and there have been just a week of fires and tragedy where 80 uh, Greek citizens have died. How are you?
1: Uh, I'm doing fine, unfortunately this has been a terrible tragedy, Uh, we're getting a lot of updates, of course most of these fires have been outside of Athens, and just, uh, you know, uh, I, I guess more, a couple of hours ago or so, we've been getting reports that this is, this has the signature of arson because they weren't sure how did, yeah, they were getting, well, th- this is the official statement, the uh, official statement uh, uh, coming from the government saying that there is a serious indications that these fires that killed at least 83 people uh, near Athens earlier this week, that there is a serious indication that they were started deliberately. This is by uh, the citizen protection minister Nikos Toskas. Uh, so this is one statement. So I just wanna reiterate this is this is not a hundred percent confirmed, but within the past hour. This statement was released. I'm sure. Uh, well, two things are going to happen. You know, so you have more than 80 people. Uh, the latest number uh, number was 83, and um, and the number is going to rise more than 100 because they haven't covered the entire the entire area where. Uh, they've been they're checking on homes and, and, and looking for survivors, uh, etc. And then there are also many people who have been injured and they are in, in intensive care. Uh, most of the areas are outside of Athens, uh, they're, they're searching the cliffside in the seaside town of Mati, for example, they've been finding sadly some human remains. Uh, uh, you know, a large number of the victims were caught close to the cliff as the flames spread rapidly and 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 as you know, we have experienced sadly with this type of things in California and so when 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 the fires started it whipped to uh, the winds whipped to more than 120 kilometers per hour or 75 miles per hour and so it spread very rapidly and and so people some people tried to kind of like reach uh, the sea and they were trapped and they were unable to reach uh, the water so that's one area where they they found some bodies and um, you know of course uh, many of these buildings were in wooded areas so it was very easy and logical for the fires kind of to move very quickly very similar to what happened in California and uh, On top of this, uh, we are facing a very dry heat Uh, You know, this is the summertime and and normally uh, Temperatures here rise in the 90s uh, and it's been uh, you know, with uh, global warming, which many people, including people in the United States and across the globe, sadly have been in denial about, but it's a reality. And there were fires in other places in Europe uh, during this heat wave, and I'm currently I'm still in Crete, and there was a fire in Uh, Also a forest fire, but I don't know how many people were affected, but there was also a fire nearby to where I'm staying, which is the museum. Uh, It's a military museum. The whole building went on fire just a couple of days ago.
0: This is really a a devastating thing for the people of Greece, Jamal, because I mean, I know there's great pride in uh, in in that country and among the people. And, and the idea that people in such a beautiful location and literally on the water would be would be, you know, caught in a fire burned and uh, uh, perish uh, even as they're trying to escape in the water. How devastating is that? It's,
1: it's very devastating. And, and as I uh, as I've said, the arson issue is has not been confirmed. so. There'll be a lot of investigation and the numbers have not been confirmed so far. 83 people have perished, but the numbers can rise uh, drastically. We don't know. Also, I want to say something. There is also some some confusion and exaggeration because we've been I've been monitoring Uh, The media and uh, and the way things have been described one. Yes, it's a very devastating event But Greece is not on fire I've been reading headlines saying that Greece is on fire and warnings uh, Because as you know, Greece depends a lot on tourism and this is the tourism uh, season and so the way the media ha- has been presenting, and, and I do appreciate the concern, but it's in a way driving away some tourists and uh, we're facing some cancellations, right? And and uh, you know, it's a devastating event, but it doesn't mean that the entire country is on fire or or, you know, there are plenty of islands and places where people can visit. I'm in Crete currently. They've had some fires, but um, uh, nothing compared to what happened in in Athens. And uh, and if it is an issue of arson, that's a whole different different thing. So so in a way, uh, I don't wanna. I, I wanna report what what I've been hearing and and how people have been re- reacting. And of course, the entire country is sad and the, uh, uh, the flags have been lowered, have been lowered uh, on official buildings in mourning. Uh, nevertheless, uh, there is also some, uh, in a way, uh, whipping a frenzy to kind of drive tourists away. That's, I don't want to, I don't want to kind of... Um, Uh, go there or 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 exaggerate what's happening.
0: Well, we'll be relying on you for for ongoing reports because you're you're quite right in terms of how it's been reported on here, even in the mainstream media, is that it appears as if Greece is, you know, in its totality has been on fire. You know, you don't want to exaggerate. And of course, we don't want to minimize because, you know, the loss of 80 plus lives is devastating. And, certainly under the circumstances. But, uh, you know, the Greek economy is already somewhat fragile and uh, losing any more tourists would be devastating.
1: That's right. And, uh, you know, so we have to be very cautious. And this is not the first time that this happened. I recall also it happened a uh, few years ago, and it seems yeah. to happen, of course, in the summertime when, uh, when you have a heat wave. But uh, arson does uh, did play in the past uh, in several of those fires. So I would not uh, I would not be surprised if this was not again another arson.
0: Well, we're we'll, as I said, when you know, we'll be continuing to speak with you on this. Uh, this is uh, Arab talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nem here live in San Francisco. My co-host Jamal Dejani is live also, but in uh, in Crete. And uh, you can follow us uh, on Facebook Live right now, Jamal Dejani 2, or listen to us on kpoo.com streaming or at 89.5 FM. So, Jamal, we have a lot to cover today, as you know. And uh, one area that I wanted to start off with, wh- which was the big story last week, which was the vote in the Israeli Knesset to basically codify and institutionalize and legalize apartheid by saying that only the Jewish citizens of uh, of the state of Israel were entitled to self-determination, and you and I were commenting on the lack of representing that particular story, which is, you know, categorically xenophobic and racist, and you know, as we said, codifying apartheid. And in the week that has followed, I've been following very, very carefully on the media here, uh, mostly on the uh, on the on the video, you know, video and television and uh, streaming media. And there continues to be radio silence. There has been, however, a couple of uh, newspaper articles, one in the New York Times, one in Time magazine, basically. And and this is what I want to get our uh, focus on for our discussion today, kind of concerned about the direction that Israel is taking now. I when I read that I see that as a complete denial of reality and a whitewashing or whatever washing you want to take of a deeply uh, uh institutionalized, now legalized, racist, apartheid state. And the best that we can get from so-called progressive and liberal voices here in the United States is to say people are concerned about the direction that Israel is taking. I wondered if what you've heard and read in the in following week, and if you could comment on that analysis. Uh,
1: well, a lot of things ha- uh, have materialized and developed, uh, and uh, I'll start actually by citing uh, Harvard law professor and staunch Israel supporter Alan Dershowitz. So I was uh, watching an interview uh, with him uh, actually online uh, on the uh, Israeli 24-hour news network, I-24 News in English, and he was trying to explain, you know, what happened and, you know, for our listeners, I don't know, people who are familiar with Alan Dershowitz, he, he wrote the book right? <laughs> Literally, Literally uh, <laughs> the case for Israel, right? Defending Israel. So for every um, atrocity that Israel ha- uh, has committed, he would come on, on always on TV and defends it and makes excuses. And at the same time, he tries to come across as someone who is reasonable, and he's a person, you know, for, you know, who, someone who advocates peace, but he doesn't. In fact, he has always taken the wrong side. In in many cases, actually, he had taken the wrong side, defending right. O.J. Simpson. To you know, he has been defending the, also taking the wrong side, defending a couple of other cr- uh, criminals and. uh then what's his Donald name? Donald Trump, and and, and and his best buddy is Donald Trump, who he has been defending. So he has a whole history, in my opinion, of being, uh, even though he's a celebrity lawyer, uh, on the wrong side. So now he comes on Israeli TV, and this is their international channel, and and basically, he, he himself couldn't find an excuse to defend the so-called nation state law, uh, which by passed by a 62 to 55 margin in, in the Israeli Knesset uh, last week, uh, defining Israel as the national homeland for the Jewish people. And uh, in other words, or at least many people have been referring to it as apartheid. So program called the spin room and he... you're not, you're not serious yeah called it's, the it's, spin room? it's called the spin room it's on it i might as
0: well be it <laughs> might as well be called the husband room <laughs>
1: it's the husband it's it's on it's an interview on i-24 news and his best explanation about the so called nation state law unnecessarily provocative And he said that it only gives ammunition to the opposition. Right? That's
0: his analysis? That's, That's
1: his best, you know, that's his, you know, and his main concern actually listening to him, he said passing the nation state law was a mistake and not the way to connect with the diaspora Jews. So his main concern because they're watching, because, you know, he's really, uh, Israel slash Apex lawyer in the United States I mean he's their main main lawyer or go-to lawyer in the United States and he has been watching the reaction uh, on the international a- arena including the reaction for from so many progressive Jews across the globe and certainly American Jews Jewish voice for peace and 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 others and and he knows it's a major uh, PR liability, not that not. That because he's concerned really uh, about the well being of the Palestinians who have been now relegated to whatever third, fourth class citizenship and no citizenship. By, by the way, they're not citizens, only uh, 1.8 uh, million Palestinians hold Israeli citizenship, or 1. 1.7, 1. 1.8, of course, million. Uh, live in uh, in the largest open air prison in Gaza, and 2.8 million in the West Bank. They get basically no rights now with this new law. So that's if his concern. It just shows you that if he's concerned, there is something wrong with this uh, new law.
0: But his his concern, Jamal, is at best. Um, his concern is that it doesn't look good, not that it's immoral, not that it institutionalizes or codifies apartheid and separation and is fundamentally racist. He's concerned about how it's going to appear. No, no, to it's people. not.
1: The, I mean, I mean, he, he, he's basically concerned about how Israel is, was go, is going to look in the international ar- arena. He's just yeah. basically looking at the PR aspect of it. He also talked to, you know, I, I was like, I've taken some notes what he had to say, for example, you know, defending the Trump administration. He was saying that the Trump administration aimed to put maximum pressure on the Palestinians to accept what would be a very good deal for them. Imagine this is what, this is what he had to say and then he went on to talk about this law because at the end of the day, he's a lawyer, he's a, you know, some people describe him as a smart lawyer and a a constitutional expert and so if you're teaching law at uh, one of the most, if not the most prestigious university in the United States, Harvard University. How can you defend such a, a law?
0: Well, he, he's managed to do it, Jamal, and he's managed to do it for 70 years. And he he continues to defend, uh, I I would say, unsuccessfully, because one of the things that has been happening in this past week, at least in the Progressive uh, community and liberal community is that the whole question of Israeli apartheid has been brought to light in ways that uh, have never been done before. I mean, the, the the bare naked reality, if you will, of this um, of this uh, apartheid regime has come into focus and light, unlike anything else that we've seen in in many years and in and in many decades. This. This is, um, you know, coming at a time when there has been a resurgence, if you will, of progressive and, and, and you know, very, very progressive lib- liberal attitudes and analyses of global policies and global dynamics and all over the world because, you know, people are mounting a resistance to the midterms against the Trump administration. And so you see people we, we spoke about. Alexandria uh, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, and uh, there has been a progressive wave sweeping districts in the United States in areas that have been traditionally very Republican uh, for many years. And so this couldn't have come at a better time in terms of illuminating for at least the American public uh, what it means to support uh, such a racist uh, apartheid regime. So this is all kind of interesting, and I'm sure that Alan Dershowitz is really struggling right now how to defend this. I mean, that's a pretty weak defense. If his best defense is a PR analysis.
1: Yeah, I mean they're pulling the uh, the big guns. Uh, they weren't expecting, I guess, uh, uh, you know, this uh, global rejection and basically most people are repulsed by it. Like, as I said earlier, many Jews are repulsed by it, including, you know, in the United States, in Europe, I've been talking, and yes, they should, and, yes, they they should. should and, and they're now, I don't know if they're going to backtrack. I don't think so, but they are basically trying to whitewash it and come up with different excuses uh, about it. Uh, but, uh, Anyway, we we will continue talking about the story. There are other stories just to remind our listen, listeners this is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. I'm reporting from Greece and just is in the studio in San Francisco. Uh <laughs> and so we're this is a good experiment for us doing it both live on the air and on face uh, on on also on Facebook. Uh, Live, I wanted to talk also just a little bit about uh, uh, how people are reacting to Trump uh, Especially right here in Europe and how they've been uh, still covering, uh, you know, uh, the latest uh, latest statements by Trump and the uh, the trade trade restrictions and the mixed messages he has been Sending especially since uh, he came for the last conference here, but people are very bewildered That's the best word to describe
0: Uh, Really? Yeah,
1: bewildered that's I would say to describe they don't know what to expect from uh, from Trump and the latest uh, is uh, of course um, Just I guess it was Today or, uh, or, or yesterday your time ta- uh, your time uh, when um, President Trump backtracked our made concessions to the EU after he uh, initially said he you know he was going to increase tariffs so in, in a way he has been backtracking on the America first uh, slogan.
0: Yes, America uh, First.
1: America First slogan, trade policy, and so the big news is well now he's making exceptions, right? So, so he moved. It uh, has been kind of sending President Trump's. The headlines have been re- reading like Trump sends uh, President Trump's truce with the European Union signals a tactical shift. In his America first trade policy. <laughs> so so that's kind of a nice way saying, well, you know, he's coming to his senses in a way one, and one he's, he's backtracking on the trade war that he wants but to.
0: I don't be. believe that's actually true because there's a little bit more nuance to that story, Jamal, because the head of the EU and Trump met yesterday, which is where this was coming from, And what's on the table is about $20 billion worth of tariffs on German, European, French, Italian uh, automobiles, uh, as well as tariffs on a lot of other things, which will, you know, not only increase the price of cars for for Americans, for those of us living here, but it's going to completely... Undermine the economic uh, progress that is going on in Europe right now, which you know the the auto industry in europe is a is obviously a huge segment, so what Trump said yesterday is that we 've come to an agreement when you scratch below the surface, what the agreement is is an agreement to talk, so actually, nothing has got resolved. What the White House is attempting to do is to spin to say that we have come to a resolution with our european allies but the reality is is nothing has been resolved the tariffs are still on the table uh they had to pass a bill or uh not pass a bill by executive order Jamal they had to release 12 billion dollars to give to soybean farmers and other farmers in the united states whose whose livelihoods are on you know the you know on the precipice of 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 lo- they're losing they're going to be losing their farms because you know the chinese are no longer buying soybeans and other farm uh products from the united states so the united states is basically paying farmers now because of the devastating impact of the tariffs net net to all this i'm not quite sure that it's fair to say that he's come to that trump has come to his senses because the reality is he has not really backtracked the reality is is that all he's agreed to do is agree to talk with the europeans and, you know, I still think it's, it's a bit fragile. I hope that the Europeans are not thinking that Trump is coming to his senses because he really hasn't.
1: Well, uh, I mean, the, uh, there, wa- there was emphasis on the joint statement by uh, the uh, European Commission chief John Claude uh, Junker, uh, who announced a new phase in EU-US relations. Uh, after, um, I guess, Wednesday's meeting at the White House. And but you are right, uh, part of the announcement, uh, US import tariffs of 25%, for example, on steel and 10% on aluminum imposed by Trump in March will remain in place. So that's one thing that's outside, uh, you know, the, 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 the new joint statement. Nevertheless, um, people think in a way that the US and the EU have agreed to avoid an all out uh, trade war and and are working together to, to lower tariffs.
0: I think you're a little bit. The Europeans are a bit more optimistic than I am because Basically, what's been happening here, and many people have said this in this last week, uh, meaning last week after the Helsinki humiliation for Trump, that that week was probably the worst week of his presidency leading into this week, which hasn't gone so well so far. And uh, uh, in case you haven't missed part of the uh, circus act this week, uh, his uh, former personal attorney, Michael Cohen, has released some audio tapes Uh, to CNN that basically implicate Trump in actually knowing about the payoff to the Playboy uh, adult film star that uh, presumably, allegedly, although everybody believes it, he had an affair with for that year after his uh, son was born to his uh, uh, third wife. Um, It continues to be a horrible week. Things are falling apart uh, on the political front here for him. It's not going so well. And so um, I, I know that the Europeans probably and mercifully are not, you know, as embroiled in all the craziness that some of us who pay attention to this here are. But the situation, I mean, you know, the the Europeans should not be so optimistic uh, about anything getting resolved at this point. I mean, it looks like. Uh, it's going to be a pretty rocky road for the Europeans, for our relationship with China, for our relationship with, with basically the world right now, because uh, except for except for Russia and uh, the Israelis, that's kind of it in terms of Trump's uh, buddies right now. It's really not a very good time.
1: So you think it's all smoke and mirrors? Yes. By, by Trump to kind of, this whole thing is a just
0: a a Yeah, because yesterday he said at a meeting in the Midwest to some farmers or some steelworkers Rather, he said, trust, you know, trust me now with Donald Trump saying trust me. I mean, I can't imagine their reaction, but he said basically, trust me, tariffs are going to hurt now, but it's going to be great for everybody in the future. Now he says that right yet. Every single economist. Republican, Democrat, Nobel Prize winner, you know, across the spectrum. There's not a single uh, economist who's been able to support the idea that this is going to be beneficial for anybody in the long run. You even have Republicans now who are jamming Trump, you know, directly, basically saying, uh, this goes against everything that we believe in in terms of free trade, fair trade, everything like that. So he's getting pressure from the left and the right. Uh, I mean, the most that we can see in terms of support is saying, yes, maybe we can continue to improve, you know, these trading relationships that we have with our partners. But frankly, under the Obama administration, that was in process. He completely dismantled all of those negotiations you know, Asada, you know, wants to renegotiate NAFTA, wants to re- renegotiate the P. you know, basically got out of the Iran deal and now is having a love fest with uh, Vladimir Putin. So that's basically, you know, for, the, you know, I don't I don't see I mean, I could see the wishful thinking by the Europeans hoping that he'll come to his senses. But the reality when you're in the middle of it and you see it on a daily basis, as we do here it's not looking very optimistic for for anybody at this point.
1: Well, it did affect a little bit, I say, at least on the financial uh, in the uh, markets. Uh, oh, really? The stocks, uh, you know, as you know, the stock market went up uh, in Europe and then, of course, in the United States after that kind of uh, positive announcement. Yeah, and then we and then I've and I'm sure you've been monitoring what happened since we are broadcasting also on Facebook uh, Live live. Facebook Facebook Facebook. Plunged Yes, and so so interestingly also two things uh, as far as the social maybe we should talk a little bit about the social media aspect of things and uh you know, also since we are on the topic of uh, Donald Trump, uh, today he accused Twitter uh, of discriminatory and illegal practice, <laughs> vow, uh, vowing in a tweet to look into the matter. So it's threatening uh, Twitter, and meanwhile, as you know, investors already they they are already unnerved by Facebook's plunge. Uh, also, they've dumped. Twitter shares, so you know they are like yeah. dumping and selling Facebook shares, but also Twitter shares. So they, so the Twitter the stock lost three uh, percent, I guess today. it's 100 billion. It's Yeah, and and then they had and then sent lower by one percent additional decline immediately following uh, Trump's comment. He called out a practice, he, Trump called out a practice commonly called shadow banning in which Twitter limits visibility in search results for particular accounts. And uh, I guess Trump following a vice, you know, there was a a report on vice report uh, about the practice claimed the company. Is limiting the reach of prominent Republicans. <laughs> so, so, so basically, this is what he is now accusing Twitter of, and we know we've we've had this discussion uh, about Facebook basically right. t- silencing uh, you yeah, know pro-Palestinian voices or or right. voices who are critical of the Israeli occupation, but now. Uh, Trump sees that he and the Republican Party are the victims
0: Which is ironic because just yesterday Jamal uh, the um, the White House press office um, Banned a CNN reporter from a from a media event because she was asking difficult questions of Donald Trump during a uh, presser so um, and then I don't know if you heard the story but apparently on Air Force One uh, on the Melania Trump's side of Air Force One, apparently her TV was turned to CNN and he became outraged and now they have <laughs> he's issued an ultimatum saying that no TVs anywhere in Air Force One shall be tuned to any other station basically except for the government TV station for the United States, uh, Fox News. So th- this is why, you know, back to this thing about, you know, I'm... I I can again understand how people with these little tidbits and these little sound bites, Europeans whomever, can be somewhat optimistic, thinking that Trump is quote seeing the light. I, I, if anything, what we're seeing in the last two weeks, with with uh, what happened in in Russia, with with the tariffs, what's happening with his biggest ally, you know Benjamin Netanyahu and the Israelis his love fest and bromance with, with, uh, Vladimir Putin in Russia. He's really taking the country, uh, uh, unwillingly, I believe in a direction towards what could be described as this mm-hmm. strong man, you know, wanting to control everything, including what it comes down to Jamal. He wants control over the media. He's going to mm-hmm. decide what media can come into pressers, who's good media, who's bad media. And I'm I'm more concerned that we're approaching a darker time period, where reality. I mean, we we know that it, his relationship to reality is questionable, but it's as if the truth and the facts do not matter anymore in in Trump land. It simply doesn't matter. Israel passes a law saying that only you know one group of people can help self determination versus another. He'll say it's a uh, you know he'll laud the Israelis as being the only democratic, you know, people in the middle. I mean, there's no basis in reality for much of what he's doing. And, uh, we're coming up on a big election in November of 2018, which is going to be very telling in, in many ways in terms of the directionality of, uh, of where we're headed here. But, uh, you know, I hope you'll let our European uh, colleagues know that uh, not to get too excited uh, in any kind of positive way.
1: Well, uh, I said, as I said earlier, they are bewildered. (laughs) They are are bewildered by the reaction. They are bewildered with what's happening in the United States with all the announcements with his uh, the latest conference. Uh, This was just like something. Maybe they were a little bit uh, relieved about right, the sure. statement concerning but, the trade, but uh, th- it doesn't mean that uh, they feel uh, comfortable with uh, Donald Trump being in the uh, White House, and they know that he is uh, very uh, predictable.
0: Now, I I do want to go back to Palestine in the Middle East, Jamal, because uh, we have. You know, we're on the back end of the show right now. And by the way, people who are listening, this is uh, Arab Talk on KPOO. Uh, we're broadcasting live from San Francisco, 89.5, streaming on kpoo.com, Facebook Live on Jamal Dejani 2. Jamal uh, is with us uh, live from Crete, and I'm in studio here in San Francisco. So basically, we, we talked about the the Jared Kushner peace plan and Jared Kushner's portfolios to bring finally peace in the Middle East. So thankfully, Jared Kushner. Well, apparently Jared Kushner's peace plan has uh, completely collapsed. And this grand peace plan uh, that he had put forth, you know, that we described before was to basically say if the Palestinians accept being slaves, if the Palestinians accept occupation, and if the Palestinians accept less than, you know, 9% of historic Palestine and being third class citizens, we will trade with them and we will give them some economic um, crumbs. That completely collapsed, you know, 100%. So the recent, um, someone recently asked Donald Trump, and this came to Jared Kushner's office, what are the plans for Middle East peace and Jared Kushner's portfolio? Because they were all anticipating a big announcement on solving this uh problem, you know, any day now. And so the new message from the White House, Jamal, is peace takes time, which is another way of saying who knew it was so complicated, you know, like healthcare. And now they put uh, Middle East peace on a um on the back burner, nothing is happening. We did hear some things that what uh Kushner was trying to do, Jamal, was cut a special deal with um w- w- with it uh, the uh, basically the ruling factions in Gaza right now, so what they were trying to do, typical of the you know this kind of divide and conquer mentality, they left out uh, the West Bank and Abu Mazen and they tried to cut a secret deal by themselves just with gaza to to um you know bring peace to the region that obviously has been catastrophic because in the last twenty four hours We've seen yet another uptick in the violence, more Palestinians being injured, wounded and killed and uh, more military incursions into into Gaza. So the situation on the ground in Palestine right now, Jamal, is is worsening. I mean, and uh, I guess we have Jared Kushner to thank for that.
1: Yeah, except just uh, yes, they've all also the Trump administration made an announcement. Uh, I think on um, just uh, just recently within the past yeah. 24 hours saying that the uh, that the Trump's administration's plan for peace between Israel and the Palestinians will be the most detailed ever and will include a robust economic component, according to senior White House officials uh, who actually briefed a number of American media outlets this week. I've been reading about it all over the media and they are, they've said that the officials added that they hope Palestinian, the Palestinian leadership uh, will read the peace plan and provide realistic feedback on how to improve it and promote the peace process, despite I'm reading, I'm here paraphrasing and reading some of their statement, despite Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas's boycott uh, of the administration and his refusal to engage in discussions about the plan. So the plan would uh, also include a large number of economic projects, and the same story at improving the lives of Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza. So they feel basically let's infuse a little bit of money. They're holding because I know also that last week the Trump administration uh, put a freeze on the $250 million the Palestinian Authority receives from right. the United States. So they dangle that. They're playing the carrot and the stick and they're saying, hey, if you accept this plan, which I have yet to read, but we can. The writing is on the wall. We know it's going to be a horrible, horrible plan. Uh, you know, and, and according to the, to the spokesman or to the official, he said the plan's blueprint was formulated over the past year by a small White House team that included Trump's son-in-law and senior advisor Jared Kushner, and lucky for the Palestinian, Palestinians, Jason Greenblatt. <laughs> uh, the president's special envoy to the region.
0: So it's a committed racist xenophobe.
1: Right? Yeah. So so those are the yes. two people who actually worked on the plan, and it's going to be. They keep saying it's going to be released, but I think that soon they keep kind of honing it and fixing it and trying to to sell it. And of course, sadly, in my opinion and your opinion, we talked about that before. They've already sold it to the Saudis and many other Arab countries. I mean, we'll find this out very, very soon, except, That's of exact- course, for the Palestinians.
0: That's exactly right, Jamal, because basically the reason it's not happening is how do you announce a peace plan where half of the peace plan and half of the major stakeholder, the Palestinians, are not on board because what the Trump administration wants, they want a Rose Garden uh, redux of what happened, you know, with Bill Clinton and with Jimmy Carter. And, you know, they want to bring the players to the White House. They want a big handshake and they want to say, we have solved this problem. Even Abu Mazen is not going to do that. I mean, for all of the Uh, problems and things that he has been involved with from, you know, from 1991 on with the Oslo agreements, which has been utterly devastating for Palestinians. Not even Abu Mazen is ready to sign on with that. Now, the question I have for you, do you think that they'll bring to the table to force this issue some fake Palestinians to say, we want this deal and we think it's great that that could happen?
1: Uh, That could happen, but I don't think the people will buy into this. Uh, They've tried this before. Uh, The dangerous part is not really having few token Palestinians, but the dangerous part is to have all the Arab countries, especially the ones who kind who donate or contribute to the Palestinians, because when you take away the $250 million that the United States contributes. And then, when you take the Saudi money and the Qatari money, and then, and then if they put pressure on the EU also to squeeze the Palestinians, sadly, I have to say, very sadly, uh, some might be willing to sign on something that is terrible and very terrible. This what? plan should be rejected immediately because we know what it what's what that plan is going to entail.
0: But I think you're exactly right, Jamal. And I think that's the plan. They're going to bring the crown prince. They're going to bring the emir. They're going to bring, uh, you know, MBZ from the United Arab Emirates, one of the crown princes there. They're going to bring all of these players to the White House. There's not going to be a single Palestinian. They're going to say this is Middle East peace now because we have the big Arab, in quotes, players, we have the Israelis, we have the Americans, everything is good. They could literally put on a show and a stunt like that and get the cover from the Saudis, from the Emiratis, and from, you know, even probably the Egyptians, even though the Egyptian population is, you know, absolutely against this. Unfortunately, President Sisi could be, uh, could be coaxed into this.
1: Well, hopefully hopefully not, but we will be monitoring this. I think, I believe this, that this plan is dead.
0: I hope uh, you're right.
1: Arrival, and uh, that's why it's taking them this long and they haven't even uh, released it. We have a few minutes. Uh, yeah, what do you uh, got? Up, and and uh, uh, we've received uh, an announcement. I would like to uh, announce for... One of our uh, dear guests, uh, George Lammam, uh that uh, he's going to be performing with Ancient Future. And this is uh, the band on Saturday, July 28th at 8 p.m. Uh, in the Thorpe Morton Theater oh, in Mill-, Mill Valley.
0: Oh, that would be a great show. That would be a yes, great show.
1: So that's... Uh, gonna be this Saturday at I guess at 8 p.m the ticket doors open at 730 and uh, people can get their tickets uh, by going to um, you know tickets dot theater. org and uh, we'd like to encourage them because this is going to be a great show an ancient uh, future and george leMa uh, it's going to have uh, some very interesting uh, Middle Eastern Fusion uh, it's featuring George Lamem, Matthew Montfort, uh, and Antoine Lamem and Doug McKeon on keyboards.
0: That's great. Uh, thanks for that show and on that wonderful note we're going to be closing out Jamal. We really appreciate uh, this these technological advances that allow us to continue to do Arab Talk on a weekly basis even though you're on the other side of the world in Crete. And I'm um, here in San Francisco. We're still able to carry on with uh, the show every week. Much appreciated. I know it's really late over there. Stay safe, everybody. Uh, you can send us comments to ArabTalk at kpoo.com. Follow us on Twitter at ArabTalk. Check us out on uh, Facebook at uh, Jamal Dijani 2. And we will see you next week. Thanks again, Jamal. See you next week. See you next week. Boop boop boop